0: If you brought a Bible with you today, please open it up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, grab one from a seat, under a seat in front of you there. Open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. So we're all on the same page. Matthew, chapter 17. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, perhaps joined us just in the last few weeks, or maybe this is your first Uh, first weekend with us. We go through the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and we're in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in Matthew for a while now, studying the life of Jesus as it's been recorded for us by Matthew, one of his disciples, one who was there, one who witnessed the very things that he records for us. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how Things have really begun to change in the understanding of the disciples of who Jesus is and what his mission is. They, we spoke a couple of weeks ago that Peter, by revelation of the Father to him, through the Holy Spirit to his heart, he, he proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but still didn't understand all that that meant as far as Jesus' mission and we saw last week that when Jesus is revealing now to them, no longer through symbolically but very plain language, that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer, he must die, he must rise again in order to redeem the world, they, they, fought, they, they pushed back against that, Peter specifically, again not understanding the, the nature of the true calling of, the, of Jesus his first time as the one that must suffer in our place. They're continuing to learn and understand what it meant for Jesus, but also what it means for them as disciples. And the same is true for us 2,000 years later as his disciples. This isn't just a history lesson. We need to continually look at this and, and draw out of it the things that God is teaching us through his word about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We see As we continue now in in chapter 17, verse 1, it says six days later, so this is six days after the events we spoke of last week, again, where Jesus laid out for them the cost of discipleship, what it means to follow Him. It means that we need to die to ourselves. It means that we need to lay down our lives for, for His cause, to take up our cross daily and to follow Him six days later. So you can imagine the conversations, the questions that must have been going through these disciples' minds as they continued to work through what it was Jesus was calling them to. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Jesus takes three Peter, James, and John away from the the twelve, and this isn't the This isn't the only time this happens. Jesus, on a few occasions, takes these three specifically and takes them aside. Here we see that he takes them up to a high mountain. Now, the Bible is not specific as to what mountain that is. There's a lot of conjecture in that, but it's not important or it would tell us which mountain. The important thing is Jesus took these three aside. He took them away. He secluded them from the rest of the... The other disciples and some ask that you know why these three and the Bible again is not specific it does not tell us why these three were kind of part of maybe Jesus tighter circle if you would it's not that he loved them more than others but he did draw them away and, and the, I guess the point I want to t- take away from this and what the Lord speaks to me in this is how important time alone with Jesus is how, you know, it's great to gather together like we are here today. The Bible tells us to not forsake doing that. It's important that we come together regularly, not just once a week either. I mean, getting together with other Christians, encouraging one another, bearing one another's burdens—that's part of body life as the body of Christ. But there's something very special and extremely important about getting alone with Jesus. We know that, that if, as we look through the rest of the New Testament and understand history, these three men are called to fulfill three very important individuals, distinct purposes and roles, very different from one another. Peter is going to be the first leader of the church, he's going to be called on to step out into ground that no one else has ever stepped out into before. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, Peter is the one who stands up and gives that first sermon message about the gospel. He's the first church leader. We're going to see that James, the brother of John here, is going to be the first disciple, the first of the twelve that is going to be martyred for his faith. And then we see John is the one that the Lord Jesus entrusts with his revelation The revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book in in the Bible. Very distinct and individual roles that they must fulfill. Is this why they were taken up here? Again, it doesn't tell us. But there's times alone with Jesus where we get special revelation from Him for the specific things that we are called to do. We get alone with Jesus and we have that individual interaction with Him and He reveals Himself to us in new ways. We're going to see the way that Jesus revealed himself to these three in a way, again, that they had never seen before. Verse 2, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Jesus appears to them in a way that they have never seen before. His face shining. It, it the white that they used to describe, the other Gospels tell us that it's a white that is basically indescribable to them because they said, you can't bleach anything that white. It was so pure and so holy as Jesus reveals himself to them in this new way. Now Luke gives us some more details that Matthew does not. It tells us in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus went up on this high mountain place, secluded away to pray. Now, the Bible tells us Jesus did this often. He oftentimes got away by himself to pray. What makes this moment different is he brings these three disciples along with him. And can you imagine... Place yourself in the scene. Again, a long trip. It says it's a high mountain, so it takes a while for them to get up there. If it's Mount Hermon, I mean, that's really high up there, if that's the one. But regardless, it's a high mountain, a long trek. And they get up there, and here Jesus begins to pray to the Father. Imagine that. Imagine being there for that. What would you be doing? What would you be doing? You know what the disciples were doing? They were sleeping. Luke tells us they fell asleep. (laughs) now I know what you're thinking how could they fall asleep that's just like us isn't it we'd be sleeping too we like to to place ourselves in this category now because we can look back on that and we know the end of the story they didn't, they were tired they had been walking and following and going up there and it says that they they fell asleep while Jesus was praying and they wake up to this Jesus does not condemn them you missed your opportunity boys He doesn't condemn them. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even comment on it at all. But I also find great comfort in the fact that, again, he understands us. He knows how we are. He knows who we are. He understands our limitations. He understands our fatigue that we face. And I hope you find great comfort in this as well, that tonight when you lay your head on your pillow and you start saying your prayers and you're lifting your things up to the Lord and you fall asleep while you pray, that's totally cool. Jesus keeps praying for you he keeps interceding for you no doubt he was praying for these guys as he was looking at them sleeping knowing what lied ahead for them knowing what was ahead for them the ministry that they would be called to do knowing what they were gonna see when they woke up God prepare them father tells us in Matthew chapter 7 therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Always living to make intercession for us. When they woke up, as Luke tells us, they see Jesus in his glory. They see him in this way. Transfigured, that Greek word metamorpho. Transfigured, changed. Metamorphosis is where we get that word from, that that idea. The idea of basically what's on the inside coming out. And the miracle in all of this is not the glory of Jesus being shown. The miracle in all of it is that, that this is a suspension of that ongoing miracle that somehow the body that he took on to walk amongst us could contain his glory. That this wasn't happening all the time the insides busting out. When, when, when the glory of Jesus broke out, it was perfect, it was pure, it was beautiful. So unlike when the insides of us come out at times. The, the, the cover that we put on ourselves oftentimes masks the ugliness behind it, right? The opposite for Jesus. The cover that he put on just masked his perfect holiness, his awesome majesty John says that we saw his glory. Peter records for us, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Amazing. Charles Spurgeon wrote, With regard to this, for Christ to be glorious was almost less a matter than for him to restrain or to hide his glory. It is forever his glory that he concealed his glory, and that though he was rich for our sakes, became poor. The new miracle that we experience is what Paul referred to in Colossians chapter 1, Christ in us the hope of glory. Not the hope of our glory coming out. No, the glory of Christ in us, shining out through us. And that's not all that they saw. They, they, they wake up, they see Jesus transfigured before them in this way. But look at verse 3, it says, Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Him. Moses and Elijah They wake up, and again, just imagine this scene, probably thinking you're still sleeping at first. Here's Jesus standing there in this glorious way in his majesty, and Moses and Elijah standing there talking with him. Now, first off, understand that one of the first things that's so cool about this is we're going to recognize people in heaven. They recognized Moses and Elijah. And it wasn't because Jesus did introductions. Mo, this is Pete and, and John and, and Jim. No, they, didn't, they didn't do that. And didn't have name tags. Hello, my name is Elijah. Didn't have that. Weren't wearing their, their jerseys with their names on the back. No, they understood. They recognized. Guys, we're going to recognize people in heaven. The people that you love that have gone on to heaven before you, you're going to recognize them. We're going to recognize Noah and Paul and all of these great saints that have gone into heaven. We're going to recognize them. How? I, I don't know, but, but it, that's the way it's going to be. People go on in heaven with this, their personality. There's that uniqueness about them that goes on in heaven. Perfected, yes. You mean those same people that have annoyed me all that time down here are going to be up in heaven? Yes. Yep. But the cool part is you're not going to be so judgmental anymore. That's all going to be gone. You're going to be different. So it's going to be great. Everybody's going to, it's just going to be perfect. We'll know each other's names. But I love, I love the, 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 the piece that we could just miss if we don't, we run this. Talking with Jesus. That close, personal, forever Relationship with Jesus. Moses and Elijah, it's important that we see the, the significance of why these two, Moses, that the leader of the Jewish people, the leader of the Israelites, out of their bondage in slavery in Egypt, he's the one God chose to lead them out of Egypt to the promised land. He is the one that the law was given to. And whenever Moses is mentioned and talked about amongst the Jewish people, they they look at the the law, the books of the law. Elijah is considered the greatest of the prophets. Summing up all of the, the, the word to this point the law and the prophets. Interesting piece about Moses, if, you know, if you've studied and read through the life of Moses, you know that it came all the way after all of his work and after everything that he's done and for 40 years in the wilderness with the, the children of Israel, they get to the very doorstep of the promised land, and because of a sin that Moses committed, God would not allow him to go into the promised land. He took him up on a high mountain so that he could look over and see the promised land, but he was not allowed to enter, but God is so good. Here Moses is in the promised land with the promised one. God is amazing. It tells us again in Luke's account. It says, And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So Moses and Elijah are talking to him about the very fact that he is going to be going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He is going to suffer and he is going to die. The very things Jesus said must happen. Moses and Elijah are now here talking to him about that. Interesting thing for for the, the wording in that. That word departure that's in Luke's account is the Greek word exodus. That exodus that we see recorded for us when Moses brought the children of Israel out of of slavery and bondage there and into the promised land is an Old Testament type or picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Paying the penalty for our sin and taking captivity captive, taking us out of our bondage and slavery to sin into eternal life. Interesting. And... Again, Peter, James, and John are eyewitnesses to this. Again, put yourself in this for a moment. Just imagine yourself up on a mountain. There's Jesus in all of his glory, and Moses, 1400-year-old Moses, by the way, looking great. (laughs) Elijah. What would you, I mean, speechless, right? I mean, what words could not possibly begin to describe what you'd be feeling. You'd be speechless. Not Peter, though. Verse 4. Peter found something to say. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Wow. That could possibly be the biggest understatement in all of Scripture. (laughs) It's good for us to be here. I can... I can only imagine the response when 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 they said that. You know, it's, oh, did he Moses? Did he really say what I just think he said? And Elijah, where did you get these guys? <laughs> these are the ones that you plan on building everything with. These guys here, the ones that were sleeping when we got here, and then when they wake up, they say something brilliant like that. And then Jesus, I can almost see his reaction. Hmm, we don't. Moses, we don't want to bring up that whole burning bush thing, do we? <laughs> about how when I was talking to you about the role that you were going to play, and you're like, oh, no, no, I don't talk very well. You've got to find somebody else. I'm happy being a shepherd out here. You got, it. you got the wrong guy. We won't talk about that, right? And Elijah, man of God, used by God in such great ways, and then Jezebel said she was going to kill you, and remember what you did? Running out into the desert, hiding them all by myself. I said, yeah, 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 okay. Isn't it great that God uses us in spite of our weaknesses? In spite of our shortcomings? In spite of even our attitude at times that might say, Lord, why would you use that person? How come you'd use them? And then I just love that so tender way of saying, I used you, didn't I? Forgive me. (laughs) Mark and Luke tell us something interesting, though, because... It would, it would be bad enough if Peter just said that, but he didn't. He kept on going. It says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Mark, Mark and Luke tell us something that Matthew leaves out. Mark and Luke tell us that Peter did not realize what he said. He didn't realize what he was saying. He spoke because he felt he needed to say something, but he didn't know what, what it was he should say. And this is a huge lesson for all of us. If you don't know what to say, chances are you shouldn't say anything. Just... But the problem is, and we can miss this, and it's important that we understand what Peter wasn't understanding then. What was actually being said when he said, I'll build a tabernacle. I'll build three of them. I'll build one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. What he's saying is, hey Jesus, we can can lift you up to the same level as Moses and Elijah. The law and the prophets. We can put you up on the same level. We'll we'll put right up there. And it says that And God the Father, while he was still speaking, this bright cloud overshadowed them. Now this isn't a cloud that appeared in the sky in a distance and slowly made its way or like a rapidly approaching thunderstorm. No, it's like while Peter's speaking, this cloud, a bright cloud, the Shekinah glory of God, whoom, overshadows them. And the Father speaks out of that cloud, interrupting Peter. Do you ever pray that God would interrupt you? We should. I do pray that. Lord, if I'm ever going a wrong direction, stop me. If I am ever about to say something that would misrepresent you, please put a stop to it. Interrupt me. And the Father interrupts Peter. Because again, he's, he's putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah putting the gospel on the same level as the Law and the Prophets. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the Law and the Prophets. The Law and the Prophets, everything that is written before me, points to me. It's not on the same level as Jesus. Jesus far supersedes. Jesus is the living Word. And the Father says, this is my beloved Son, This is my only beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He is perfect. He is holy. He has done everything. This is the Son in whom I am well pleased that John tells us is the one that the Father gave for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have Everlasting life. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The, the way that is structured, this, it should literally say, be hearing him doesn't mean listen to him as though you just kind of check in every once in a while. It doesn't mean uh, listen like, like you would on, on a radio station once a, while you're driving. No, be hearing him, a continuous action all the time. We are to be be hearing him, him, his word, what he has for us. And we, if we're not careful, we can easily fall into just what Peter did. Sometimes, even just like Peter did, not even recognizing that we are, we can elevate man to the level of God. We can elevate man. The only one to be elevated is Jesus. Period. It's easy for us to, like Peter, elevate Moses and Elijah, to elevate pastors and teachers We can all fall into that. There are times when I I have to catch myself because there's certain pastors that I really like to listen to and I can elevate that. If you came here today to hear what I have to say, repent. You should never come here to hear what I have to say. What does the word of God say? What does Jesus have to say? Be hearing him. That's what walking with Jesus is all about. Continually hearing him. Having ears to hear what he has for us. To be guided and directed as he would. Ears to hear, eyes to see, a willingness to obey. Be hearing him. It says, verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. They see Jesus in all of his glory, again revealed in a totally new way to them. They hear the voice of the Father and they come face to face with the Lord's absolute holiness. His total otherness, but also their absolute unworthiness. And it tells us what their reaction is, and I think it's important that we see this, because we're going to, I want to take a look at some other places here as we close, and we see a pattern develop, but notice what their response is first, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified, face down in the dirt doing gravel angels, just Undone before the Lord. But this is something that's not new. When we recognize, and and again, we come to that honest assessment of who he is and who we are. We see this this falling down to the ground. But then Jesus, notice, Jesus comes up and he touches them and he says, get up. Get up. Don't be afraid. I have work for us to do. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. If you can keep up, great. If not, jot down in your notes. But we're going to see if you want to turn to Luke chapter 5. We see that this isn't the first time that, that Peter came to this realization, came to this point. We see it in the very first time that Jesus calls Peter... Luke chapter 5, it says, verse 4, when he had finished speaking, that's Jesus, Jesus had asked to borrow Peter's boat and been pushed out a little bit so that that more people could hear him. When he had finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to the partners in the boat for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both of their boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him, and all of his companions, because of the catch of fish, for the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also there were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they brought in their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Amazement, awe, wonder, overwhelms Peter in this moment, and he falls before the Lord again, realizing that this is a holy man in front of me. This is the holy one in front of me, and I am a sinful man. But Jesus, because of that realization, because of that heart, Jesus comes and touches him and says, don't be afraid, Peter. Get up. We have work to do. We see in Acts chapter 22, Paul, Saul, Having a similar experience, verse 6, Acts chapter 22, but it happened that I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul te- or Paul tells us in Acts twenty-six fourteen as he's recounting this again, That Jesus said at this moment, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. The goad was what a rancher or a farmer would use to prod his animals and to keep them going in a certain particular direction. And, And to kick against the goads or to go against them would be to continue stubbornly going the way you want to go, even though you're getting jabbed in the side continually to move in a different direction. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 8, And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. Isaiah chapter 6, we sang of it earlier. Isaiah skits, the heavens opened up before him. He saw the, the train of the Lord's robe filling the temple and the glory filling the earth. And Isaiah is overwhelmed, overcome with his own sinfulness. He says, woe for me for I am undone. And that word carries with it the idea of your muscles stop working. You're just flat like jello on the ground because I'm a sinful man. I'm a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips in your holy presence. But it tells us that the Lord sent an angel with a coal in his hand to touch his lips. And then the, the triune Godhead has, has a conversation said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Lastly, Revelation chapter 1. John who was on the mountain in our story today that we see, many years later, records for us another time when he came face-to-face with Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 13, And in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire." His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last i the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen. See a pattern. See a pattern of, of when we come face to face with the glory and holiness of God, We that we fall down, that we are, that we be laid down, our weakness laid down. But then we see that we are to be raised up in his power as he places his hand on us, and then to be sent out in his spirit to go and filled with his spirit to do the work that he has called us to do. But it has to start by doing what they did: falling down at the feet of Jesus never forgetting who he is and who we are. The church today needs a renewed reverence for the lordship of Jesus Christ. It, it grieves me to see and to hear things that are going on in the so-called church today and how it has to so much more grieve the Lord. I sent out an email This week, to about 20 pastors in the surprise area. If you were here on our prayer night last week, I'd I'd mention that, ask you to be praying about that because the Lord's really laid it on my heart to get us pastors that are like minded together for prayer, to be praying for our community. And so I sent out this email to 20 different pastors, and I put in that, guys, if we can agree on the essential things, the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that salvation is by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that, that, we can, that, that we can agree on these things, the inerrancy of the Word of God, then the things that differ that, between us, like our style of worship and style of teaching and style of these types of things, the Holy Spirit should use those things to attract more of the unsaved world around us. That was the, the, my email that I sent out. I got a response back yesterday it says, what if I don't believe in the inerrancy of the Word of God? Pray for me because I'm going to reach out to him. I, I, don't, know how to, I don't know what to say to that other than how can you possibly think that the, the book that you teach out of every week is full of errors? But that's the problem today. That's where That's where a lack of awe and wonder and being undone before the holy, righteous glory of God has brought the church. That this is just a book that we can use to kind of get pointed in a general direction and let's just all feel good. And so many people are being so led astray. We've lost the reverence of God. We're taught that He's just some big, like we talked last week, just some big grandfather in the sky that will give us whatever we want and turn away from when we act bad. And God is holy. It's a glorious thing, though. It's a glorious thing when we come to that point when we come face to face again with who he is and the understanding of who we are sinners saved by grace we have no no right to an audience with him but he invites us anyway he invites us to come in and to come close Charles Spurgeon said we are never so much alive as when we are dead at his feet that's when we can experience life that we can't experience any other way dying to ourselves and taking up our cross and following him, being raised up in his power, if we do what they did, falling dead at his feet, then we can hear what they heard. Get up. Don't be afraid. We don't have to fear in this relationship other than a holy reverence. That fear we need to always have, but we don't need to fear anything else. We don't have a spirit of fear anymore because of what he's done for us. This whole idea of this relationship is, is, is a glorious one. And we can hear, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. He's the eternal one. I'm living, I'm the living one. I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. The victory that we have over sin and death is a permanent one. And he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. He didn't need it. We did. I guess what I'm saying is we need to continually acknowledge who he is. Continually acknowledge who we are. Continually acknowledge all that we have in him. But then respond as they did. Respond as Paul did. Saul at the time will be Paul. Respond as he did. Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Respond as Isaiah did. Here I am. Send me. Just as we close I, this morning in my reading, I came I was reading in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter one. Paul writes this, verse seventeen, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. In the knowledge of him, that we would all come to that place, the, the, the wisdom and a revelation, new knowledge that he would reveal to us. That's his desire is to continually reveal more and more of himself to us so that we can be changed more and more into him, his image from glory to glory. I pray, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us because Christ lives in us, the hope of glory. Lord, we thank you.